Good morning, everyone. Am I on? Now I'm on? There I am. Wonderful. Um, was there a storm on this side of the valley last night? There certainly was over our house. I felt like we were the monsters. I don't think it hit anybody else except us. It was incredible. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, Marilyn Bond was supposed to be here this morning to uh, do our reading. And I wanted her to share a little bit about what's going on at Tomahawk Elementary School. It's one of the outreaches we have here at Arrowhead. Um, typically, if this were a normal school year, I would be there during the week, well, at least one day a week, uh, doing a reading incentive program called Battle of the Books. And there, a group of fifth and sixth graders um, would gather together and they'd read about, oh, 12 novels throughout the year and be, have to be able to identify um, details of those novels. And then they'd also be taught uh, Latin and Greek word cells to help decipher and decode. If you've been in the sciences at all, you know that most of the words in the sciences come from those roots. So this really gives them a, a hands up when it comes time later to take their ACT tests and so forth. Um, Maryland School is a Title I school. I, I can't remember the title. Anyway, 80% of the kids who go there are under the poverty level. But her school is an A-plus school, which is very, very rare in the district that she is in, or at least in the, the demographics that she is dealing with. And, and she loves those kids so much. And she is so bold, especially in her witness for Christ. Um, you will see her praying with students and praying also with teachers in the school, um, not ashamed whatsoever, and she has absolutely no fear. But another thing that she does, which is quite remarkable, and think about your principal when you were in elementary school. I mean, can you imagine what you would have been doing during uh, school time if you could stay at home all day for school, right? I mean, really. Uh, they're supposed to be logging in on the computers, right? That's, that's the deal. They can't gather together. All six, 700 students at her school are at home and they're to be logging in and the teachers teach from the classroom, but it's all online. Well, you know how that goes, right? When what does it say? When the cat's away, the mice will play, right? Well, not if Marilyn is their principal. <laughs> She'll find out who is absent that day, and she will go to their house, and she does this every day. She'll knock on the door, and she'll make sure little Johnny or Timmy or Susie or whomever is up in front of that computer if they're home and they're not sick. Um, that is going above and beyond. And if you know Marilyn, she could do no less. And I think that's a great testimony to what God is doing through her at that school. Those kids know that they're loved. And when they get chewed out by Principal Marilyn, um, they are, you know, they're not too worried about it only because they know they are so loved. So anyway, that was Marilyn Bond and uh, how wonderful that is. 
So if you see her, if and when you see her, um, do please bless her with that. And her mom, by the way, is in hospice right now, which is something else that's going on, little Lupita. Um, and she is, she is adorable. I can't wait to tell you some of the stories. She was part of a revolution that happened on her island in um, the Dominican Republic. And her home was between a military base and the rebels on the other side. And they were lobbing shells back and forth over her house. And I thought that would be scary enough. But then we found out that she actually buried a cache of weapons for the rebels in her front yard. So. <laughs> She's got a few tales to tell, you think? All right. Um, coming up on September 26, we're going to be involved in the, um, what is it called again? The Return. Looking for the International Day of Prayer. September 26, there will be a live simulcast from the mall in Washington, which our dear, where are you, Jennifer? Jennifer will probably be there at the mall, so I told her to make her sure she found a camera and waved at her, <laughs> waved at us. And we are going to be joining in with the nation in prayer for our country. We are doing our own intercessory prayer for our country and for our church every Wednesday night from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock. And revival will not come unless we really dedicate ourselves to prayer, intercessory prayer. This uh, 10 days, uh, this National and International Day of Prayer is going to have 10 days, what they call 10 days of awe. And it's in other words, 10 days of repentance and fasting and prayer before that. Um, we're inviting believers to be part of that deeper time from September 19th to the 20th to fast from foods at some level, take time off from work to focus on seeking God, to um, take 10 days off from social media and entertainment. Oh, I didn't hear the gasp of breath. I guess we don't have as many millennials here as I thought. And then give ourselves over to prayer and worship and repentance. We've got prayer guides that were emailed to everyone and there's a link in the bulletin. So we're gonna be promoting that and hope that you will participate here at the church on the 26th open the doors at 9 a.m. and we'll be here till 11.30 and then you can go back home to do the rest of it if that's what you so desire. Okay? Let's all stand, please. We're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 through 11. And we stand in honor of God's word to prepare our hearts to receive from the Holy Spirit. Moses took his tent. This is Exodus 33, verse 7. Moses took his tent, pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass 
that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshiped, each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Let's pray. Father, this is your holy word that you supernaturally penned through the Holy Spirit and through your prophets. And we come this morning being grateful that we have this book before us and that in it there are words of life. And what I love the most right now about this particular section of scripture as though it is in the shadow of, of some discipline that you are meeting out upon the children of Israel. You show your great heart and how you, you still make a way to have access to your presence. That it is your desire, your heart's desire to meet with your people, to enjoy fellowship, to impart to us the the power and, and the peace. May you do that for us this morning, Lord, as we have gathered here together in faith in you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As I, as I mentioned at the beginning, the storm came through our house last night and this morning when I got into my car and began to drive here, pulling out of the driveway, I noticed my very, very favorite tree, an Australian bottle nut tree. You guys know what that is? It's a beautiful tree. It provided so much shade, and plus it was just perfectly shaped, and it was, for me, okay, I mean, I don't know if you get into trees or not, but I do. I, I love nice trees. I don't hug them, okay, I don't hug the trees. <laughs> But I, I just enjoy them. They're, they're, they're precious things. And this thing was stripped bare. There were no leaves on it anymore. It was like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. If you remember that thing, it's hanging up over there with a little bulb on the end of it. And I don't know what's wrong with it. Um, we're going to have an arborist come over and tell us if this thing is dying or not. I hope it's not, and I hope it can be revived. But it was stripped yeah, because of the storm that went through and the wind. Now, what's that got to do with this is that the, the children of Israel 
have just endured a storm of Moses' anger. Have you ever been yelled at and it comes at you like a storm? You ever see those cartoons when someone's yelling at someone? The other panel shows the guy going back like this as the wind of their voice just strips their hair back. Moses has just had a, an outburst of anger at the people because he's only been gone for 40 days and they've already gone back to their old ways, worshiping idols even though they were told expressly, don't, as a matter of fact, the first two commandments, right? You shall have no other gods besides me, and you shall make no graven images. And they did exactly both those two things, which led to the breaking all the rest of the commandments. And start doing that, and, and life takes a downward turn. God is trying to teach them that there is a better way to life, a better way to living, and so Moses came down and saw them partying around the golden calf. Remember, we talked about that, right? And remember Aaron, how he, he said it happened? You know, I, I don't know. I just, uh, they gave me the earrings. I melted them and out came a cow. Whoa. Of course, we know that that's not true. He actually crafted a cow. And we know that it was related to the, the idols that they used to worship in Egypt. And that's what tends to happen. When you get bored or you get stressed and things aren't working the way they should is you tend to go back to the things you used to do to relieve the stress. The old ways, the old habits, the habits that were right on the verge of crushing your life and you turned to God for relief and you got that relief, but then we return right back to it. Is that true? Does that happen? Yeah, it does happen. So Moses blew his top because they broke the commandments. He lost his temper. And um, now we're seeing the aftermath in, in chapter 33. And what we see here in verses 1 through 3 is that God is going to cancel his trip. All right. Then the Lord said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants I will give it. Now, notice that in verse 1, he tells Moses to depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. There's this argument going on between God and Moses, uh, who these people actually belong to, all right? And neither one of them are claiming them. Neither one of them want anything to do with them anymore. And he says, go to the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham. Remember last week? Moses had the audacity to go to God and say, listen, you need to remember something here. You know, you want to destroy these people because that's what God had said. Look, just step aside and let me just wipe these people out. And then Moses says, well, maybe you need to remember that you made a promise, right? And you're not a God that doesn't keep your promises. I want you to remember that, guys. God keeps his promises. I don't know what he has promised you, but he will see it through. But they're on the verge of forfeiting 
something very, very precious. So God says, yeah, okay, I remember you told me. I remember I said that to Isaac and Abraham and Jacob, to your descendants, I will give the land. So um, here's what's going to happen, Moses. I want you to go ahead and depart and get there. And then verse 2, I will send my angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Pezzarite and the Hivite and the Jebusite and the Uptite and the Adesite and the Cellulite. <laughs> a lot of different people groups there. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to get you there. My angel's going to go before you. He'll do it. He'll send you there. Um, now, a lot of people get to this section of Scripture and say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I mean, there's people that are already living there, right? And so we're going to go invade that and drive them out of their homes and their houses. That doesn't sound right. That sounds a little harsh, right? Matter of fact, isn't that what they're complaining about in Israel today? The Israelis are occupying the land. And they're driving the Palestinians out. Well, they're not really driving the Palestinians anywhere. They're just trying to live in peace with the Palestinians, but that is the land God has given them. I want you to remember that back in Genesis chapter 15, God told Abraham that I'm going to give this land to you. He's showing Abraham, you know, he took him on a little, you know, realtor tour in the car and he stopped by that house and they got out and they stood up at the curb and they looked at the house. He says, well, I'm going to give you this land, but not for another 460 years. Because the sin is not full of the Amorites. That was the group name for all of the peoples that were living there. Okay, I'm going to give them 400 years to repent. I'm going to give them 400 years to change their ways. And uh, they're not going to do that. And, and only God would know that, right? He says, and then I will give this land to you. It'll be yours. So he's going to drive them out. Um, he doesn't say how he's going to do that. He just says he's going to do that. And he says, I'm going to give you this land, and it's flowing with milk and honey. So he's reminding Moses of the plushness of this land. It's a place for ab of abundance and, and freedom of want. So I'm going to get you there to this promise, like I did, like I said I would. But there's a catch. Look at the second part of verse 3. I will not go up in your midst. I'm not going. Lest I consume you on the way, for you're a stiff-necked people. God drops a bomb here. I'm going to send an angel to lead you, but I'm not going. I'm not going. Well, what's the problem here? God's got an attitude problem? Well, you offended me, so I'm not going to go. No, that's not the issue at all. The problem is that the people who God chose, right, and he chose this people to be his special people, um, in Deuteronomy 26, he tells us this. It's a nation of priests, supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, uh, who would, these people would enjoy the blessings of prosperity and security and peace. But with their willful disobedience, which they're prone to do, and their idol worship, it's going to force him to respond to their sin with perfect righteousness. And what will that do? It will destroy them. His holiness would destroy them. It would be like us taking in pure oxygen. How many of you know what would happen if you just breathed 
pure oxygen. You need oxygen to survive, right? We do need, okay, that's a no-brainer. The air that we breathe is made up of a lot of different gases, but 20% of it or so is, is oxygen. Now, I'm not an expert on this, so please, if I say something that you think is medically incorrect, all right, uh, just write me an email, but don't slash the tires in my car, okay? All right, um, anyway. Now, you might think 20% is good, and if that is good, then 100% would be great, right? But that's not. Pure oxygen will kill us. Um, it, it'll overwhelm our blood with free radicals, and the free radicals will destroy the blood cells, and eventually you die. It could be hours, it could be days, but eventually you will die. So like pure oxygen, God's holiness, which is, he can't help it, he's holy, that's who he is, that's what he is, okay? You have to accept him for who he is. He cannot change the fact that he is absolutely pure and holy. His presence, his holiness, his moral virtue in its highest concentration will destroy us. So it's actually an act of mercy here. I'm not going to go with you because if I do, <laughs> it's not going to go well for you. I'll have to destroy you. It was for their own protection. Now, because he cannot be in the midst of them without the possibility that his holiness would destroy them, this means something else. What is it that we've been studying all of these weeks? The tabernacle. All representative of Jesus Christ, every inch of it, every detail of it. And we've spent weeks studying the tabernacle. God has given details of how to build this thing, down, down to the minutest detail of how to construct even clasps that will tie the curtains to rods. And what was the tabernacle for? Well, that was to be the place where his holy presence would dwell. Remember, in the Shekinah glory, in the Holy of Holies, hovering over the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where the high priest would meet with God once a year, atoning for the sins of the people. Well, if he's not going with them, then there's no need for a tabernacle, because he won't be in the midst of them. So there is no tabernacle to be built now. The purpose of the tabernacle was to create a sacred space where God could dwell with his people as they travel. Now the Hebrew word for midst, this is interesting to me, is, is, is kireb. It means in the middle, the interior or the inner part. And it's also a word that's used abstractly to describe the inner being of a person. Okay. The place was regarded as the home of the heart from which your emotions spring. What comes from the midst of you, your heart, everything, all your, you know, out of the mouth the heart speaks. Out of what is in you comes this out, right? Psalm 55, 4 says, my heart is severely pained within. That word within is, is kirat. It, the midst of. My heart is severely pained within me and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Here's the point that I'm trying to make with you guys. Your heart is the tabernacle of God. This is where he dwells. When you accepted Jesus, where did you accept him, Elizabeth? You're gonna 
you accepted him into your heart, into the midst of your very, very being, right? So your heart is his home. It's his tent. It is his tabernacle. It's where the Shekinah glory of God should be dwelling within us. But we can mess with idolatry to the place where God's presence departs from us. Now, I'm not talking about your position in Christ. I'm not talking about your salvation. Do you understand? That is secure in Christ. That's a whole different issue. I'm talking about living your life day by day, going through the daily grind of life. You can be without the presence of God. Remember Samson, right? He was gifted of God. He had the presence of God would come upon him in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he would do these mighty works of, of strength, you know. And I think in our minds we picture Fabio, you know, built like a bodybuilder like Arnold Schwarzenegger used to be. Right? I think he was more short, chubby, and had to wear suspenders myself, but that's just me. Okay. Well, he kept playing with idolatry, right? He kept playing. He was a womanizer. And he liked to play head games. And he kept messing around, messing around, messing around. And it says that God had departed from him and he did not know it. Do you remember the story, right? She kept playing around with how, what's the source of your strength. She finally did figure it out. It's his hair, cut his hair, and he was weak like any other man. And he didn't know it. That can happen to us when we worship other gods. When other things take the place of Jesus in our lives, our idols will drive us away from God. Now, last week I spent some time helping you discover where the idols were in your own lives. Uh, not that I have gone around to everybody and, and scanned your computers to see what you've been into, but simply just saying these are the things that we typically we struggle with as a people. What do you treasure in your hearts? What are the things that consume your thoughts, your fears? What consumes your time and your resources? What consumes your energy outside the daily grind? What are the things that you say that this is a priority over my walk with God? Well, there you go. It's right in front of you. There's the idols, okay? Now, the Israelites, they're facing life without God. They're facing, this is the thing that they probably weren't thinking of. They should have seen it coming, but they didn't, that God's presence will not go with them. Do you understand what that meant to them? All right? There's no promise of his power, of his protection, of his provision, of his peace and prosperity. No promises anymore. You're on your own. My angel's going to go before you, but an angel, as you know, is a far lesser being than God Almighty, than El Shaddai. Okay, so there's no guarantees here. No guarantees. You're going to get there. We'll get you inside. You're going to be blessed. But man, who knows what you're going to have to go through to get there. It could have been so much easier. One commentator said, this is not merely a setback. This is the end of the road. They are messed up. Now, but I want to give you another perspective about this turn of events is that God is offering to bless them. I'm going to get you there. You're going to get to the land flowing with milk and honey, abundance, 
It's going to be wonderful. You're going to live in houses you don't even have to build. It's going to be an awesome blessing to you when you get there. But you don't have to have a relationship with me. You don't have to be beholden to me. I'll just get you there. I'll bless you. I'll put you there. And you don't have to be responsible to worship me. I think that's what a lot of people want. I think a lot of people in Christianity want to be able to have all the blessings of God without having to go and worship God. To worship God is, is, is boring. It's, it's um, hard sometimes. It requires things of you you don't want to give. I can live my own selfish life and be blessed of God. I'm great. But that's not the heart of these people. Look at verse 4. When the people heard this bad news, they, they did what? What does your Bible say? Mm -hmm. And no one put on his ornaments. Ornaments, jewelry, okay? Chains, bracelets, rings, nose rings, earrings, eye rings, okay? I don't know if you put a, a pierce your eyes or not, but uh, imagine someday they might. He says, the Lord said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you're a stiff-necked people. It means you are rebellious, willfully so, and you're obstinate and you're arrogant. He said, I could come into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, that's what my dad would say. All right, I can come up right now and just beat you to a pulp. Okay, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying, you know, man, if my presence happens to be in your midst, it will consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel, notice this, they didn't take off their ornaments. What did they do? What did this say in your Bible, guys? They stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. You know what that word stripped means, right? Imagine... You're outside, and you get yourself, find yourself at the business end of a skunk, okay? And that skunk just sprays you for everything he's worth. What are you going to do with those clothes? And how fast are you going to get them off and change? Exactly. That's what this is, this is what they're saying here. They stripped themselves. They, they clawed at themselves to get this stuff off because they've been mourning. What we're seeing here is good news when they heard the bad news. There's sorrow, there's regret. Now, there's a picture of this type of mourning in Genesis 37, if you want to turn there real quick, if you want to get a picture in your mind of what was going on with these people. Genesis 37, verse 34. And this is when Jacob found out that Joseph had been killed, which he hadn't been, but his brothers decided to uh, get rid of Joseph by selling him into slavery, right? And then telling dad that some animal got Joseph. And uh, of course, uh, I know you may have been tempted to do that with one of your siblings at some time in life, but uh, it didn't go well for Jacob. Notice what he does in verse 34. He tore his clothes. He put sackcloth on his waist and he mourned for his days 
his son many days. That was typical of that culture, to tear your robe, to weep, to put dust on your head, and to wear sackcloth, which is made out of goats and camel's hair, and not very comfortable at all. You ever pet a camel? It's not smooth like petting a, a Labrador retriever or anything like that, okay? It's coarse. And this might seem strange to us, but, but we do the same thing, all right? Uh, when you go to a funeral, you wear typically what color? Black, right. And in, and in a wedding, a bride will typically wear? White, exactly. Now, if you see a bride dressed in a wedding gown in white at a funeral, at her husband's funeral, somebody needs therapy, right? <laughs> exactly. So we understand, we understand that this is a cultural thing. In verse 4, where it says, no one put on his ornaments, that was because they were told, first of all, to take them off. And when he said that, they stripped themselves of their ornaments. And this is a symbolic act of repentance. What's going on here is an outward demonstration of an inward reality. Outward demonstration of an inward reality. Remember John the Baptist when he was yelling at the Pharisees, which he seemed to do a lot? He told them when he saw them getting baptized, right? And, and in the Jewish culture, to be baptized meant to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins or confessing your sins. He, he laid into them. He says, don't just do this symbolic action. Bring fruits of repentance. Do things that show that you have repented. And that's what this was. This was a demonstration of an inward reality that there had been true repentance of their heart. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants truth in the inward parts. If you're struggling with some sort of an idolatry in your life, no matter what it is, he just wants you to own it with a view to repent of it, to change. But you've got to own it. You've just got to confess it. You've got to say the same thing that he says about it. It's an idol, and it's between you and me. So God told them to take off their ornaments, and the Bible says they stripped them off. Now, there's an interesting thing about that word stripped. It's natsal in the Hebrew. And this is the word that um, um, Jews who are saved today, completed Jews, um, Messianic Jews, use to describe the rapture because it's a snatching away. And I thought that was an interesting correlation. That's for free, by the way. It really doesn't have anything to do with the main point here. It's just a sign of genuine repentance is what's going on. Now I want you to turn to Ephesians 4.22. Ephesians 4.22, please. Paul tells us in Ephesians 22 to tr strip yourselves of your former nature. And I'm, and I'm quoting, please, from the Amplified Version. The word strip there in the Greek is apotithemi. Apotithemi, okay? So strip yourselves, strip away, as in taking off old filthy clothes of your former nature, put off and discard your old 
unrenewed self, which characterized your previous manner of life, and becomes corrupt through lust and desires that spring from delusion. That's the amplified version. That's pretty detailed. Um, Paul is encouraging us and all believers to don't carry on the type of idolatry. Don't allow these sinful things to cling to you. Strip them off as you would dirty clothes. Colossians 3, 8, and 9. You can turn there, please. I don't want you to see the same word. In Ephesians 4, 22, the Greek word, um, apotithemi, is rendered put off, which means, again, to take off your clothes. Now you yourselves are to put off, strip off, all of these. Here's your list, guys. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. In verse 9, do not lie to one another since you put off the old man with his deeds. So when the Holy Spirit convicts us of any sin, we've got to strip ourselves of it, lest it become an idol in our life, and you forfeit the presence of God in your life. The children of Israel were doing this because they wanted to restore their relationship with God. We would do it for the same reason, because you want that relationship with God. How many of you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Can anybody testify to that? Have you ever enjoyed his peace in your life? Have you enjoyed uh, even prosperity at his hand? And I'm not talking prosperity doctrine, you know, name it and claim it, uh, that kind of thing. I'm simply saying that God has been good to you. Uh, you live a nice, comfortable life. Um, you're blessed, and you're blessed with peace. And there's times when you've needed his power in your life, and you've seen that, right? And, and you've, you've been just surrounded by his love but then man you get into this idolatry thing and think of that list that we just said and that becomes so much part of your character and nature that you forfeit that presence and then one day you wake up and you say no I just don't sense the Lord like I used to I, I don't I don't feel his presence anymore and if you go long enough pretty soon you'll start doubting that you're even saved and if you go long enough you'll even doubt that even God exists and you'll blow it off. That's the danger here. The children of Israel, though, were doing this because they wanted to restore the relationship, and that was more important to them than the worship of that golden calf and of all of their jewelry. As far as they were concerned, if God was not in their midst, then even if they still made it to the promised land, they had lost the only thing that really mattered, a relationship with God. And guys, I'm here to declare by the authority of the book that most of you have in your lap or on your, on your phone, that that is the most important thing, is your relationship with God. Okay, let's go to verse 7. There's no tabernacle anymore. So what does Moses do? He builds his own. He pitches a tent. Look at verse 7. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside of the camp. Now, 
outside of the camp. You got a population of about, let's say, conservatively two million people. It's a lot of people. Okay. When James has his birthday next year, we're going to invite two million people for his birthday. Wouldn't it be awesome? That would take you another eight to ten years to open all the gifts. So they pitched the tent outside of all of that, far from the camp. Notice it says far from the camp. And called it the tabernacle of meeting. In other words, the tent of meeting. And it came to pass, this is what I love, now pay attention here, that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. Okay. I'm not going to go with you up to Canaan's land, guys. But some won't be denied. I'm going to still seek the Lord. I am still going to seek God. And so it was, verse 8, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, that all the people rose. Each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. We keep using that word. <laughs> tabernacle. The tent of meeting. Which is what, guys? Your, your heart. Okay. That the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. I don't know. Does that hit you the way it hits me? He's having a face-to-face -face conversation with God. People saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. Okay, now we know the rest of the story that the tabernacle is going to be built, and God's presence is going to go with them. Okay, but we're not there in this story yet. At this point in time, the tabernacle has not been built, and it's in doubt that it ever will be built, because it's not going to be needed if God is not going to be in the midst of them. So Moses builds his own tent of meeting, and everyone who sought the Lord went to that tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. It had to be far away. Why? Because if God was in the midst of the people, it would have destroyed the people. So they needed to go outside of the camp. And what they probably did was inquire of Moses to inquire of God for them. But you see the heart. They're still seeking the Lord. Now, the interesting thing about this word, the tabernacle, the tabernacle, the tabernacle, over and over again. There are some renderings in the Bible that, that, that call it the tent of meeting. And some call it the tent of appointed meeting. And the one that I liked the best, the rendering was um, the tent of meeting by appointment. The tent of meeting by appointment. What do you do when you need to go to the doctor? You make an appointment to talk to the doctor. Now the cool thing is, is that you'll probably get to talk to the Lord a whole lot more than you will actually see your doctor, right? you got five minutes from the time that he walks in and leaves before you can tell him all of the things that are wrong and the issues that you have. 
What we have here is a theophany, a visible manifestation of the presence of God. That cloud, glory cloud, the Shekinah glory, showed the people that Moses was meeting with God. And what was going on inside of that tent at that meeting was even as amazing that Moses was talking with God. I think that we take that too much for granted. We take it too much for granted. I think oftentimes we're throwing up words here and there to God, but we're not really paying attention to the conversation. Right? He's talking to us, lights are on, but no one's home. We have such a casual and cavalier attitude of going into the presence of God and pouring out our hearts and giving him our list of requests that we forget who we're talking to. This is the one who created you. This is the one who has your very breath in his hands. This is the one who has your eternal destiny in his hands. And there is nothing he cannot do. Oh man, you know, and you see throughout the scriptures that when anyone is in the presence of God and they realize it, that they fall face down. And you know that when you get to heaven, it's going to be a stunner for you. Oh, I wish that we could recapture that wonder, recapture that awesomeness. And what amazes me is that everyone who wanted to go see him went and saw him. But most people didn't. Most people did not. Oswald Sanders says some of the people went out to meet with God while others merely watched as Moses went out. Now Joshua was one who stayed with Moses and kept vigil at the tent of meeting. And then here's the point. Every one of us is as close to God as he has chosen to be. Let me tell you something, Mr. and Mrs. Busy person. How many of you are just too busy? Are you too busy in your life? No, no one's saying yes, but I know you're all too busy in your life. I know, I know, I know. How many of you just can't stand to sit still? <laughs> Gotta be doing something. How many of you feel guilty if you're not accomplishing something? Yeah, not me, by the way. I've got a love relationship with my couch. You know, I, I'm cool. I'm if you don't believe me, ask my wife. She'll point that out to you right away. But some of us are just so, so busy. And we, we allow ourselves to become busy. And we think we have absolutely no choice in the matter that it is the tyranny of the urgent. That, that the world, the life is just tyrannizing, yeah, doing something to you. That is just keeping you away from, you know, I know I should have a quiet time before God. I know I should be spending time in his presence. I know, I know, I know, but I just can't find the time. When I get up, I, it's just all I can do to get out and go to work. And once I've spent all day at work, when I'm home, I'm done. I'm spent. I got nothing left. Right? So we give God a nod. I'll see you on Sunday, maybe for an hour. And then that's it. You just can't find time to meet with the Lord. The Lord, I want you to understand that God is not in your busyness. 
you've begun to serve an idol of busyness. God's not angry with you, but I will tell you that the Spirit is grieved because you're, you're missing out. His power, His presence, His promises, His peace, His peace. If your business has become an idol to you, then God's not going to abide there. So, you need to say, just like Moses said, if God's not there, then I don't want to be there either. I want to be where he is. In his presence, we're going to find out next week, is rest. There is rest in his presence. You have a choice on what you do with your time. You and I desperately need times of pitching our tent outside the camp of busyness in order that we might be made aware of God's presence once again. And don't kid yourself. This isn't going to be easy. You're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to be intentional about it. You're going to have to plan it, and you're going to have to make it happen, and you're going to have to make sure that there are no interruptions. And when the interruptions come, you're going to have to brush them aside unless it's a life or death matter, you have to brush it aside so that your creator can infuse back within you the life that he wants to give you and that you can enjoy him. Now, look at verse 11. See how Moses gets blessed. And by the way, if you're just waiting for your schedule to loosen up, <laughs> it ain't going to happen. Just saying. Verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. Okay, and that's a figure of speech. It just shows that God and Moses were enjoying direct communication, which is available to you too. Spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. I love that. That's so cool. Because, you see, he's probably there to guard the tent. I mean, that's probably one reason. You've got to have somebody at home. You know, like you might have somebody stay at your house when you go on vacation just to keep it safe, right? But I think for Joshua, oh, that's totally cool. You know, it would be like someone asking me back in the day, like, hey, would you come watch our house? Uh, matter of fact, we did. We did have a, 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 an elderly couple ask us to come spend the summer at their house while they were on vacation. And I wasn't too excited about it until I found out they had satellite TV. <laughs> and then I say, hey, I'm in. I've been all for it. Here Joshua saying, hey, the presence of God is here. I'm in. 24-7, the presence of God. Moses had immediate access to God. There's a level of intimacy and fellowship and no human being had experienced since the day God banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. And Moses is blessed with it. Moses and God were friends. God told him everything he needed to know about his plans for Israel, and Moses he spoke with Moses like a friend does with a friend. You know what this tells me? Still hope. 
if you're sitting here and, and you've been worshiping at the idol of busyness, there's still hope, okay? God's not casting you out. He's warning that you're forfeiting something extremely precious and important, but he ain't done with you. So where can you go to connect with God? You don't have to stay at a distance. You don't have to go outside the camp. Look at Hebrews 13, 12, guys. Hebrews 13, 12. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. What does that remind you of from our story today? Outside the camp. And notice what it says in verse 13. So let us therefore go to him, or let, therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Okay? Jesus might sanctify you with his blood suffered outside the gate. So let's go there. What was outside the gate on Golgotha? That's the cross. That's where the cross was. And that's where he sanctified us. That's where he made it possible that now you can enter in. Remember what happened when he was crucified? He said, it is finished. And what happened? Physically in the temple, the veil was ripped, 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 it was ripped open, and you could go exactly into the holiest of holy places and into the very presence of God. And that's why he says in verse 13, therefore let us go to him. In John 17, 19, John 17, 19, Jesus said, I'll give you a second to turn there. John 17, 19. I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them. Who's them? You them. So they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That would be you guys. I pray they will be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. See, that's what happens when you become a Christian. God comes into your life in a whole new way. and He's with you all the time, and we are in him all the time. You have constant communion, at least you can have. Because now he's talking to you like a friend. Not as a creation, but as a friend. And all the promises in the Bible are promises that he has made to you in Christ, as well as the warnings and the commandments. And the communication is a two-way communication, because when we pray, of course, we're talking with our Father. We speak with God like a friend with a friend. This is what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It means to be in direct and constant communication with the Almighty God.
Is that an honor? Well, it is to me. Archibald Alexander. When's the last time you heard someone named Archibald? Archie. If Christ be in us, there will be communion. He will speak comfortably to us. He will give tokens of his love. He will invite our confidence and will shed abroad his love in our hearts. And if Christ be formed within us, we cannot remain altogether ignorant of his presence. Our hearts, while he communes with us, will sometimes burn within us. Now, the only heartburn I have ever had is heartburn. But when I enjoy the presence of God, there's just an overwhelming sense of peace. That's what comes to me. There's an over sense, overwhelming sense of calm and sense that everything is going to be fine. So don't get in a hurry and don't worry. Chill in the Lord. Okay, isn't that spiritual? Chill in the Lord. All right, Natalie, would you come on up please and let's get the lights. Um, she's going to sing for us. We're going to spend some time in prayer now. If uh, you need to leave, you are more than welcome to. We're going to linger in the presence of the Lord. And I would ask you not to be afraid to come forward to receive prayer for whatever issue that you have. Hopefully, what you will do sometime today is go home and just get alone with the Lord. Even if you have to lock yourself in the bathroom. Okay, and turn the water on so people think that you're actually. But isn't that wasting water? <laughs> it's spending time with the Lord. So, I guess we lost it. Let's all stand. Some of you may be afraid that Jesus is going to get up and leave your camp. It's not going to happen. Even if you have fallen into serious sin, you doubt whether he is still with you. No, he's there. He's just quiet. He's got his hands folded and he stepped back waiting for you to respond once again to his nearness. You might think that you are a stiff-necked person, and you probably are. And you're worried that he's going to abandon you, and the answer is no. God never abandons his friends. Never. Every friend is a friend forever. Every friend is a BFF. Best friends forever. He's invested too much in this friendship to abandon you guys. Remember he said it in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. And then he went on to say, you are my friends. I've called you friends. And everything that he's learned from the Father, he's made known to us. So we have that same high privilege that Moses had to be called a friend of God. And if anything, our privilege is even greater than Moses because we know what sacrifice 
Jesus made to secure that friendship. And if you went that far to secure the friendship, do you think he would abandon you? No, no, no. So within your own hearts, just start praying. And, and if you've been distanced from God, let's get close again, okay? If you want the, the elders and um, ladies' leadership, I guess that would be you, Sheriff, to pray for your comfort and pray. If you need to take communion against to restore that relationship, take this time to do that, okay? All right, Natalie, would you sing? Let me pray, and then we'll sing. Father, I thank you for using even someone like me, Lord. In my own uh, fumbling, stumbling way, making known your goodness and your grace, Lord. And may I emphasize the goodness of God. May your people here, Lord, who have been maybe distanced from you because of a life of busyness, perhaps other things have captured their heart and their interests more than you. Then, Father, I pray the conviction of your spirit upon them and draw them back to you. Speak to their hearts. Speak to their will. Speak, Father, to their decision-making processes that there is no better place to be than in the presence of Almighty God. So now, as we worship you, Father, draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name.
Father, I come before you now and pray for those who have gotten themselves into a mess and are in great need of your intervention. I pray now, Father, you provide and open the doors for them. I pray, Father, for those who are, are dealing with anxiety and fear. I pray that they would that they would boldly come into your presence to receive peace. Your son said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. And the way that it is given is through entering into your presence and, and pouring out our hearts to you. I pray for those here, Father, who have stubbornly not given their lives to you, that you still call out to them to repent and to change their mind, to receive grace and receive eternal life. I pray for them, Father, that they, they would come and find you, Lord. I pray for the marriages where, where husband and wives um, are just not connecting like they should. But there's an absence of affection and an absence of affirmation. We're, we're just going through the motions. I pray that you would restore to them, Lord, that first love that they had for one another. I lift up Father Lupita, who is just on the doorstep of coming to see you face to face again. Um, her heart is longing to see you once more and to be reunited for other, with others, who, relatives that, that know you. Pray that you ease her discomfort, Lord, and that you increase her anticipation of stepping into glory with you. And I pray, Father, for her family. I pray for Jenny. I pray for Marilyn. And ask you to please bless them with peace and joy, even though the parting is going to create some sorrow. Be their peace, Father. And I pray, Father, for those who just feel under condemnation that they're just not good enough for you, that somehow they set up a standard of perfection that they cannot meet. Father, please remind them that they are complete in Christ, that he is all the perfection that we will ever need. And as long as our heart and our lives are in him, we are sure, we are sure of our salvation, absolutely. I pray, Father, for those who have loved ones who do not know you and they are close to the end of their road. I pray for them that you'd open the eyes of their understanding, that you bring truth to their forefront of their consciousness. And I pray, Father, by your great mercy and grace, that you would save them and write their names into your book of life. I pray for those who have prodigals, who have children who've walked away from you, who are getting caught up in our culture and have turned that into their idol, Father. Perhaps have turned social justice 
as the, the greatest good in life. May they see and learn that there will be no social justice until you, Jesus Christ, reign in the hearts of all men and women. May they see, Father, that love overcomes hate. True love, Lord. And may they be brought back to you. And I pray, Father, for a certain young man that I know that is angry inside. He's hurting. And he's too young to, to fully comprehend and understand his situation. But he is just, Lord, a, he's just a bomb waiting to go off. Pray that you bring into his life, Lord, a mentor, someone who will come alongside and, and help encourage him in his life and would give of themselves for his sake, Lord, even as your son gave of him, gave of himself for our sake. So, Father, thank you for the time that we have had here. Pray that you would bless these people and keep them and make your face to shine on them and be gracious to them. I pray that their faith would be strengthened now. And I pray, Father, that if there's a mad rush out the door, that it isn't to get to the pizza place, but to get into your presence. This I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, worship team, come on up.